0: The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. So, Wendy, I feel I have a lot of feelings. (laughs) Now, yes, we are. Excuse me. I feel very possessive about our guest this week. I really do. Uh, Her name is Lauren Huff, and I feel like I discovered her the way that they say Columbus discovered America, which is ridiculous because America was there the whole time, and so what happened is I started reading uh, Lauren's a uh, piece on Substack. I think it was Leah McLaren who who recommended her, and I thought, oh look, there's this this cool woman. She she customized a, a van and she travels, or she plans to travel around with her dog, and I thought that was all there was to her. <laughs> Which, and you know, I have this thing for people who travel in vans, although I will never do it myself.
1: I can't see you in a van somehow. No,
0: no, no, no. If it, it ha- You have to have room service. So anyway, I'm following Lauren and then you start, and she's a hilarious writer. And then it turns out there's a whole lot more to her.
1: You go. Well, yeah, it was through Leah McLaren, who was on our podcast, and she's a Canadian writer based in London, and she'd interviewed uh, Lauren, and so I started reading her, and I can't stop. As soon as she posts something, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I have to read it. And and then she writes this Substack, which is like, it's about her van and the dog, and it's all very mundane, but it's all really true. And then you read her book, and there's way more about the... Anyway, it's just... Uh,
0: we're fun. gushing, Lauren. <laughs> Lauren Huff is our guest and, and you can you? See if you're watching us, you can see her right there and you were just back from France where you've been promoting leaving is it the hardest thing or is it a new book that you're promoting?
2: It's the same book. They gave it a new extremely cool title because they're the French. What's it called? Uh, La Furre de Vivre. The the fury of life, yeah.
1: Well, and Kate Blanchette, like she, like she's like a huge deal. So she was, she's, she narrates your book. She put a blurb in your book. Then you go to Paris. So you posted on Twitter all these pictures of you eating cheese. So is it like, I thought you were like this really kind of like straight, person who's like well not straight obviously but but I, i'm super mundane and i don't give a shit about the fancy stuff and then it's all kate blanchett is blurring my book and i'm going to paris <laughs> so what was it amazing
2: <laughs> yeah my life is really fucking weird right now um it has been for a few years so i'm still i don't know it's probably going to take me like another 5 years to process these last couple it
0: it your your life has been crazy there I'm going to just take that word back and say it's been crazy from the get-go from like do you have just all right first of all being raised in a cult in a doomsday sex cult that's that's enough (laughs) that would be enough
2: that that one was plenty yeah I I don't it's uh, it seems sometimes like my life is just watching movies of different people at different times because no part of it matches the other I grew up in a fucking cult and then I ended up in West Texas going to high school, which outsiders, it's hard enough to be an outsider, much less having lived in communes most of your life. So yeah, I didn't fit in at all. So I joined the fucking Air Force to get out of Texas as one does. <laughs> it,
0: <laughs> Which you say is a cult in itself.
2: Yeah, it, it really kind of was. There's a lot of things in America that I don't, realize we understand how fucking weird they are to anyone else they opened uh, a walmart in germany and you know we have the greeters at the front door of walmart and they had to stop that because germans were getting so offended by this person they didn't know saying hello to them when they walked into the fucking store (laughs) the chance in the morning that we do if a lot of i think it gets worse the less you get paid Well, they'll they'll gather you around and make you do chants about the company every morning um, before you start work. And it's absurd to anyone outside of this country. But that's the way corporations have decided to build loyalty by becoming cults. So, And then, yeah, I was working at a shitty – it's not shitty. I love the bear bar, but I was working a shitty job at the front door in Austin and – Um, checking IDs and I'm like hold on talking to Kate Blanchett on the phone like hold on I've got to check this leather daddy's ID (laughs) so because an essay blew up and now yeah I still like some parts of my life haven't changed even a little I'm living in a tiny apartment with a dog and we go for walks and I work on my little van and then I go to Paris to promote my book yeah and eat cheese yeah Oh, my God. I ruined my life by going there. I really did. I will never be able to eat bread or cheese or meat over here again.
0: No. Do do people recognize you, Lauren? Do they, like, I mean, because you're quite distinctive. Do they recognize you? Like, (laughs) if I saw you and I hadn't met you, I'd go, oh, my God, that's Lauren Huff. And I'd immediately walk up to you because, you know, I've discovered you and you're mine. Uh, But does that happen (laughs) with other people?
2: It happens sometimes. It's pretty rare. Thankfully, some of the few times that have happened have been in like in front of my brother. It happened one time, and I tried to play really cool about it, and then just couldn't. As soon as the woman who left, uh, she asked me if I was Lauren Huff and talked about my book for a minute. And then my brother was like, "Does that happen all the time?" I'm like, no, she just did that. <laughs> um, so that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, I, people recognize my dog more often, which. It's fine.
1: Well, now you've got you you've signed for a new book, and it's this sort of traveling across America in your van. So there actually is a reason for the van, other than it's the cool van that you write about. But I'm wondering, like the blurb. Uh, I guess we all have experience with people who sort of take a big idea and make it into a dealing with prejudice in the United States and bridging the divisions. Anyway, so I like how how do you do all of that like are you just gonna are you just gonna write essays about how weird some americans are and how this is shit like how do you like is there an answer can you what's
2: next what's next lauren (laughs) can
1: can you fix everything that's wrong with america
2: with your book (laughs) i mean it's in a way it's kind of funny i was reading all these other people's travel around the world books because i'm a nerd and have to read everyone else's before i do mine just to see Henry Miller had just come back from Paris when he did his. Bill Bryson had just come back from Europe. And now I'm reading uh, Simone de Beauvoir's, and she's Parisian. So, yeah, I don't know how that'll tint uh, tint what I write about. Probably a little bit. I might complain about the lack of baguettes, but (laughs) um, (laughs) a lot. God, bread's good there. And fresh. Yeah, yeah I, I'm. I'm not really sure how it's going to come out. I I wanted to drive around America and talk about America and uh, with my dog. There's this weird thing that happens with a dog. We were in Tennessee, driven out there for what, or to DC for a wedding, and on the way back, just went really slow. And because I had my dog with me, we'd get out to walk, and some guy in a in an actual. I think it's kind of great. They merchandise the MAGA hats so well and the MAGA gear and the jackets and the shirts because you could spot them a mile off. So it's kind of a great way to avoid them. And I would have avoided this guy in any other situation. And he was carrying a fucking rifle, but he came up to talk to my dog and I talked to him because we were just talking about dogs and everything. And there's like this humanizing factor that dogs provide that, I don't think we have from anything else. So maybe that'll help.
0: I know people in my neighborhood. I I had two dogs. I have one now. And the other one died. I didn't lose it. <laughs> I had two dogs. <laughs> Where did the other one go? And I know people just through our dogs. I don't even know what their names are, but I say hi to them because I know that dog's name is Piper. <laughs> That's yeah. Piper's owner. And it's That's just the way it is.
1: It's weird because you talk about evangelicals as being sort of the same as the cult like believing in the some of the same shit, like the end time stuff and and you know, let's 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 just all love God and everything's gonna be great. Um, and women should, you know, have a certain role and everybody should have a certain role and gay people are not good and but but I'm just wondering why you think that like why is it worth it and what what drives you? Is it just like you're not gonna give up? I guess it's why I read your why I read your Substack.
2: It might be a little bit. I think it's our only hope. We're so isolated and divided right now, and I think a lot of it is from the internet. Probably a lot of it's from COVID. A whole lot of it's from the last election. You know, if our friends or our family didn't didn't vote the same way, we've unfriended them on social media, and we no longer talk to them. And part of the reason it was so easy for us to leave a cult is because our family, like my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, never gave up on us. They kept talking to us. They kept arguing with our parents. We'd come to visit the States, and we'd go back, and we were supposed to pray against our evil um, systemite aunts and uncles who worshipped Satan and were definitely going to hell. But I remembered them. They were nice to me. And I couldn't do it. And it planted a lot of doubt in my mind. And I think more than maybe anything, part of the reason you still should go to Thanksgiving dinner or to Christmas is because the kids see it. So whether they're paying attention or not, it it plants a whole lot of doubt about what the adults say when you leave the room. So... We can either become a whole lot more isolated and never speak to one another again and divide countries and families, or we can fucking start talking.
0: You've had some absolutely horrendous things happen to you from the get-go. I mean, just reading your essay about the time you spent in jail, I felt like I had been in jail for a long time. You were only in jail for, what, a few weeks? No, yeah, just
2: a week. That's all it takes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: felt it felt like the Shawshank redemption (laughs) to be honest you but you have that ability and yet and yet never for a second reading through all your experiences do I ever doubt that you don't have faith in humanity that you don't believe in kindness that you don't find love and humor wherever you go is that true or is that just the what you're projecting
2: and I mean I lose faith quite a lot um I think keeping faith in humanity and in love and in things getting better if we lose that completely then there's no fucking point you can get really it's it's part of the problem right now you can get really convinced online that these people are bad or evil or you know someone attacking you is just mean and cold and you go through their timeline and they're just trying to get through their fucking day like everybody else but there's a way that we interact with each other on the internet that's not real and not true. And we amp things up way beyond what they should be.
1: I loved what you wrote about, started following you on Twitter and, uh and, and what you were like, why do we pay so much attention to teenagers? Like, and, and why? <laughs> <laughs> true. Why do we? Yeah. Why? Like this whole world, this whole social media thing where every, everyone agrees with everything we say, except for the teenagers who all think that we're stupid. <laughs> Like how much of a role does that play, and are you gonna tackle that like I guess
2: I'm not sure how to tackle it I but yeah it started with one of the pylons I step in it often enough online but uh if you if you go through their profiles, whoever's screaming at you, it turns out they're just fourteen <laughs> and it's really hard to take it seriously after that we're suddenly all in the same room. Like traditionally, you know, the teenagers would be in the other room talking about themselves about how fucking stupid we are. And then we would walk in and they'd shut up for a minute, then we'd get our drink and leave and then they go back to talking about what idiots we are and how we're doing everything wrong. And then, you know, most of the time they grow up and but on the internet the same weight is given to you know, someone who knows nothing, has no life experience whatsoever, has never been anywhere or done anything. And because they're an account online, they have the same volume that the rest of us do. We're just not meant to interact with them so much. We're not meant to talk to them this much. Teenagers are terrifying. For a reason, you see a group of them, you avoid them at all costs. If you've ever been torn apart by teenagers, it's there's no greater pain, but... <laughs> They they hurt a lot. Um, <laughs> I have nieces and nephews, and I've I've been bullied by twelve year old nieces about how I don't do my makeup, and I let them do makeovers, and then they realize that I should not wear makeup. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're just not. It's not natural that we're all in the same room talking.
0: That's a good way of putting it.
2: You sort of hinted at it and and something
1: happened to me very similar. Well, not similar. Like I used a word that I shouldn't have used. I used the N-word. Uh, I didn't call anybody the N-word. I never, ever would in a thousand years, but mostly young people or it was right after the, the, the murder of George Floyd. And so, like, and the beginning of COVID, and everybody was like hyper aware and hyper paying attention. The thing that I did was was wrong, and I should have paid more attention. But it was so mischaracterized. And then I read all of you writing about what happened, how you were nominated for the Lambda Award, and then they took back the nomination because you had defended uh, another writer who wrote a book about all the men disappearing, and then you were labeled a, a turf, a radical feminist, and blah 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 blah. Anyway, I just, I just. I really appreciate that you're talking the truth about a lot of things, and and some of it is scary. But and I'm sure that you live in a lot of fear. I mean, everybody does. Nobody wants to be uh, mischaracterized or misunderstood. But you're still trying. I just anyway, I just I hope that the whole that lambda thing and you supporting that author. I I I hope you're okay. It took me. I, I'm still recovering from from what happened. To me, so it's. uh, I just wanted to reach out to you and 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 be supportive that you're trying
2: trying to do the right thing. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I won't say it doesn't leave a mark. Every one of them leaves a mark. I can't even remember all the silly fights I've gotten into. Like, if you ask me to name them all, I'll forget twelve of them. But uh, yeah, every one of them leaves a mark. Um, I didn't realize. For a long time, that my, my looking at it, my needing to know what people are saying, my insistence that, but I do know, need to know before it kicks up again, is, turns out that it's, it's like checking the door and making sure it's locked 200 times and watching behind your back when you have PTSD, because I do from other things, but now that's been built onto it. Yeah, it leaves a mark. It makes us less willing to talk. It makes us less willing to communicate with one another, and that's never a good thing. But, I mean, there are also a lot of shitsters, rabble-rousers online who make their name by starting fights, make their name by, like, assigning a target of the day and telling marginalized people that, you know, Anna Martel was a great example. His entire shtick was the character Anna Martel was this because Anna Martel isn't a real person, but...
1: That was the person who basically called you a trans-hating something or other and is not a person?
2: Yeah, and I'm not. Like anyone... But that's the thing. Like screaming, I'm a nice person, isn't going to help you online. It's like screaming, I'm not crazy. not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a symptom right there. But I, I am a crazy person. But outrage pays. Outrage gets page hits outrage about a person whose name already gets page hits because other people are looking for their name searching for the next subject is going to get you page hits and it's you know the street preacher mentality that they gather other marginalized people around them and say i'm the only one who's going to defend you i'm the person who's searching for the truth i'm the only one who's talking about this and please support my gofundme to continue my work and it's They're street preachers. They're just on Twitter now.
1: Save the whales, buy a t-shirt.
2: Exactly.
0: The Women of Ill Repute. Because you have been and are so incredibly open and forthright about everything that's happened to you as well as how you feel about it, I think that's why people feel that they can be as open with you. I'm just listening to Wendy tell you about you know, career destroying, if not life altering moment in her life that she doesn't offer up all the time. But you bring that out in people. Is that a burden? Do you find or is that? or I mean, the fact that people want to want to share their darkest secrets with you because you've shared, it, shared yours with us.
2: <laughs> I mean, it depends on the context. I think I get a whole lot of letters and for a long time, I tried to respond to all of them emails or messages or whatnot. Uh, people just pouring out their souls to me. And I don't know, I'm not a therapist or a priest. I can't absolve you or forgive you or fix anything in your life. I had online who wrote a book. I think maybe it has to just be enough that they write it down. I think if I did write all that down and send it to someone, the exercise of writing it down and sending it to someone would be what I was searching for, not necessarily words of wisdom from them, who knows anything at this point. but yeah, i I read all of them, and I see it a lot. I assume people don't need something from me we're just trying to connect with another person. and I think that's why it happens, or that's where I've come to about it because it you have to do something with it or it's just it keeps happening
0: that's why substack is is such a fantastic outlet i mean everybody's on substack if if i'm talking to to our listeners right now if you haven't checked it out not only are we all writing on substack margaret atwood is i mean you're going to find everybody and anybody and you might ask why would someone like margaret atwood want to write a newsletter because because it's a way of connecting even with this if it's just a few people it's a form of connection both for the reader and the writer and and uh, it's how we found you it's how a lot of people find other people they would we're not now relying on being published you know in the traditional way to be able to reach an audience anyway that's my thought on Substack
2: I think it helps a lot I needed. My brain's never been able to comprehend that you know five thousand people were following me on Twitter, much less a hundred thousand. And you have to assume if you gather any audience of that magnitude that you know half of them are just following you because they hate your guts and want to see what the next stupid thing you say. And then I'm always going to say another stupid thing for them. But you know, Substack feels a lot more intimate. It's like a smaller room, and it's it made it easier to write, not worrying about you know, how something would be misconstrued or taken out of context, it made me easier to talk to the people who I think are just my audience. You can't comprehend that many people. Our brains aren't built to comprehend. When anything goes outside of your audience, that's when shit goes haywire on Twitter. I said something the other day about people lining up when they call your flight or before you call your flight, people will line up and wait to get on the plane. And it's like, why would you want to be in your airline seat like any longer than you need to? And that it took about thirty seconds before people started screaming at me, um, that I didn't understand, you know, having kids. And I'm like, I wasn't talking to kids. I wasn't talking to and then it was well, you don't understand what it's like to be disabled. And I could argue back into the I mean, I'm legally a disabled veteran, but there's no point. It doesn't matter. They're just people are really angry right now and no one is listening and they're angry at the government they're angry at society they're angry at you know life the way things are going and it's it's easy to just take it out on someone online who's not a real person to you it has nothing to do with it
1: But you still do it why why do you why do you do it i mean i think, i think it's great cuz i read you but... Well
2: just fuck them <laughs> <laughs> this is why that honestly that's why i i should have probably deleted my account long ago but Oh, fuck you. I'm still, and I won't say anything real on there. I won't respond to anything anymore. I don't read the replies most of the time. But, you know, every couple of weeks, I'm going to tweet something and then almost immediate delete it half the time. But because fuck you, I'm not leaving because you're mean to me. That's stupid.
1: Well, I'm glad that you question everything now, and I wish that you didn't have to go through like being locked up all the times you were locked up because you tried to express yourself, and you were in these weird sex cults with your family. Um, but I'm 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 glad that you have managed to say "fuck you" and just just write and
0: also find the the absurdity and the hilarity and stuff because I mean something that if you haven't read Lauren that I want to convey is that. It's, it is literally put the book down and laugh funny. And I don't know how, well, I mean, what doesn't kill you makes you funny. Uh, And that would (laughs) certainly be true about you because it is like everything you find the absurdity. Does that happen while it's happening? Because I know with me, sometimes I think, oh, I've fallen down the stairs, but I'm going to write about this. (laughs) (laughs) Like as I'm falling, I'm thinking this is material. You have to. Um, basically I'm asking you, how do you find the the hilarity in
2: in these things? I, I mean, I don't think funny ever comes from a happy place. You go to a funeral and you'll hear some of the funniest shit your pants stories you've ever heard at a funeral. And they wouldn't work in any other context, but you can tell pants shitting jokes at a funeral. You can tell because, you know, it seems like the darker situation, the funnier and sometimes grosser, the joke has to be, my therapist would call it deflection, but I think it's also necessary when writing. When you're writing about, I mean, for fuck's sake, it really was a sex cult. We're the reason everybody knows what a sex cult is. Uh, the Children of God was, woo, we are number one.
0: <laughs> we're the number one and, sex cult.
2: <laughs> and fucking Nexium showed up and had better branding, quite literally. Yeah, you have to joke about it. That's how you survive. I think to people who... Who came out of it with some sort of sanity or at least you know, a workable insanity We're all the ones who who think a whole lot of it is really funny because a lot of it was there were hippies who believed heaven was in the fucking moon um, How do you not joke about that?
0: Well, you know all religions are pretty weird right I mean they all, when you get right down to it yeah. the, I can't think of a single religion that isn't deeply absurd. I was raised a Catholic in a convent, no less. And like that's when you look at it dispassionately, it's like, are you <laughs> kidding me? And and yet, and yet, we all seem to think we're in a position to say what. And I, I am saying that the children of God is is a bad cult. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not. I wouldn't defend it. And yet, if I were to say, and I will, that the Catholic Church is one of the most depraved and awful institutions, then you know, can you imagine that? The uh, the the pushback I would get from that. So if some things are just easier to make fun of than others, or yeah. to decry.
2: Yeah, I don't think many people are going to show up to defend the children of God.
0: Are they? They're still they're still happening, right? This is still a.
2: Yeah, they're half assing it. Um, the the prophet <laughs> died, so his wife's sending out newsletters, and yeah, you can give her a little money for the newsletter. Um, I don't know that they have communes much anymore. I've seen them. They were doing some proselytizing among refugees at the border, but they always do just enough to get a couple of good photo ops, and they don't help anyone or do anything. When we were in Japan when I was a kid, we landed in a town and didn't know a fucking typhoon was coming in because I guess we didn't check the weather. So we got off the train, and you know wind's blowing sideways, and these refugees picked us up, Vietnamese refugees, and they took us back to their place. And they fed us and took care of us for days and they had nothing had absolutely nothing. And we took a lot of pictures with them. And then, you know, as soon as we got the pictures developed, when we left that town, we started showing them in our little please donate to us book of like, these are the refugees we helped. So yeah, we loved a good photo op. And we did, we never helped a single person. A whole lot of people helped us and we would claim the otherwise
1: Wow! Wow! We're gonna let you go in a sec, but I gotta ask you a really important question. Oh! Oh! Maureen's getting possessive again. No!
0: No! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Listen, I got time. I may never sleep again, or I may sleep for twenty-four hours. I'm at that stage.
1: So you picked up your dog with you got back from Paris. Did you see Kate? Did you see Kate Blanchet? No, oh, she was at the Oscars last night. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And she's otherwise engaged um. um yeah no so you picked yeah. up your dog but but i what i really want to know is about the haircut which i read in your book is the international lesbian option number two <laughs> so it's on the side and then long on the top is that that's
2: yeah i this is just a standard pretty much crew cut which is not what i wanted at all but I'm too gray, so it looks like I have bald spots because all of that's gray. Um, So it looks even sillier. I got, you know, I got the one haircut that was the fourth haircut and therefore terrible. And then I got a haircut to fix that, which made it worse. And then I had... The problem with fixing a short haircut is it's just going to get shorter. There's only one way to do it. Um, So Yeah, I ended up with this, which isn't the worst. Like, I think I look okay in it. It's just... This haircut's a whole lot butcher than I am, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) yeah, it it's been a dramatic thing my entire adult life. I everyone updated. Freeze it in time. Really tired of hearing me whine about the crappy haircut I got. Because Um, maybe two months out of the year, I have the haircut I want. Um, Yeah. To.
0: Carry a lot of pictures. That helps. Like seriously, carry pictures or take pictures of people whose haircuts you like. I mean, that it says a thousand words. I wanted to ask you. I, I have a feeling that you're going to get really huge, and I think someone's going to want to make a movie or about your life. I I have this feeling. It's just such a fascinating story. I don't know what the I don't know how it's going to end, and I don't know <laughs> what the message is going to be. But I could see this happening. And I wonder if you ever do you think visually that way? or Do you ever? I, I guess it's because I just watched the Academy Awards and there were some some great stories, and I thought, you know, you you're a story. You're a, you could be a visual story too. So your hair will be important.
2: <laughs> I mean, if anyone wants to pay me to travel around and eat disgusting cheese, I'm in. But uh, when I'm writing, I don't think visually at all. I know some people do. Um, the visual parts are harder for me. I, I'm good at describing a person, I think, but it's still a narrative of, you know, how would you describe this person to a friend? And I try to pick out, you know, a little thing about them so that people can fill in their own picture. Like, there's one in uh, the cable guy essay where I said a man tucked in his polo shirts and walked like a little teapot. And, like, I think people fill in their own version of that guy. And I think it's easier to go through, you know, one line about a person than, than to fill in like an entire page. If he had an aquiline nose and his eyes were blue and, you know, teeth were straight or crooked. It's, and if I can read through an entire list of descriptions of a person, I still won't know what they look like. But if I give people, you know, one line, I think, and it works better for me, I don't know how to fucking write. All I can do is write the way I want to read it. But then people fill in their own image.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like comedy. I mean, you're, you're, you're very funny and you're a great writer and the, the two do not contradict each other, but, but it's like you hear a great comedian and you go, yeah, yeah, what he said, that's, or what she said. It's like, that's it, exactly. And it seems like so simple. And yet coming up with a teapot, please tell me that it took a couple of hours to come up with a because I, I don't, I think it is a skill and I don't think that people recognize that it doesn't just sort of fall off the table, that the comedian didn't just sort of stand up there and say, ha, 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 I'm brilliant. So you,
0: uh, you do know how to fucking write, Lauren. <laughs> you may not know why or how, but you do know, you may not know how it came to you, but you do know how to write. You're a phenomenal writer. Um, and yeah,
2: you're welcome. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, thank fuck. Um, cause I'm really not good at anything else, but I think it just comes from watching people. It come, I didn't go to school or anything, so I just read everything, and you know, found out what I liked to read. And then, you know, describing things—it's—it's it's from watching people. It's, and it comes from even watching film. You can watch Psycho, and the most terrifying scene is the the handprint on the curtain you don't have to see the rest of the murder. You don't have to see the chopping or the slashing or anything else. Your brain will fill in the most terrifying thing because you saw a handprint on the curtain. Um, And my, that's how my brain works. So I write for that. And so, yeah, when I'm trying to describe someone, I'll drive around and try to pick out something, some detail about them that, that I think my brain will fill in the rest of it. And you know, hopefully it's funny. Hopefully it works. But
0: What's next? Um, and I, that will be my final question, Wendy. <laughs> what is next? Um, more essays or, you know, a travel show where you get to eat cheese?
2: Honestly, if anyone wants to do the travel show, like contact me. But uh, I, I need to be able to bring my dog, though. Turns out I miss that guy. But, yeah, I'm going to drive around in a van. Um, I'm going to follow sort of follow Steinbeck's path, Although he didn't go to Florida and he made up a whole lot of his book and I can't make up any of my book and still have to fill 300 pages. So I'm going to go to Florida because it's fucking weird. And my transmission might fall out in South Dakota and there's another chapter. So, but yeah, we're going to see what happens. I want to do... I thought essays would be easy because I wrote, you know, the cable guy in a weekend, but that's an, it's a lie of accounting, I think really, because I'd written, I'd been writing that the entire time I was working in my mind. And so when I sat down to write it, it just came out. So when I signed up to do a book of essays and was like, yeah, this'll be easy. It was not at all. So now I'm going to do a narrative book and because I think it'll be easier. <laughs> and it will, it will not. Um,
0: I'll well. read it. And we'll follow you along through Substack. And um, yeah, wish you all the best, really. You're, you're huge talent.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This you're has okay. been a blast. It's I'm,
0: been our pleasure.
2: I'm sorry that I look as, as over as I am. No, it's- I,
0: Great conversation. I love conversations where you're tired <laughs> or hungover or whatever because you just ramble and they say the most interesting
2: oh, things. It's a terrible At interview trick. You do. <laughs> I realized that. I didn't know that it was an interview trick. A friend of mine, Carrie Blakenter, is a journalist, and I was, was talking about some interview I'd done where, you know, the the interviewer was just flat and I couldn't get anything off of them and I couldn't see what was going on. And just like, yeah, it's because you keep talking to <laughs> me. If we don't give you anything back, you'll just keep going. And then – We have lots to write because you need them to like you. (laughs) It's the same trick cops (laughs) use. Um, And I'm fine. I've learned with cops, just shut the fuck up, dummy. Um, I've not learned that with journalists because I really (laughs) need you to like me. Which is a terrible fucking trait to doing interviews <laughs> well
0: we we really do
1: <laughs> well we like you and we really like that you don't give a shit that whether people like you or not i mean you kind of do but your writing is like this is me so whatever so thank you
2: thank you so much thank you
1: thank you <laughs> Bye. all right i'm so glad that she said it's uh hard <laughs> <laughs> the writing is not easy. It, that she, she makes actually, it seem easy. Yeah, because it just, it reads like her writing is so, like what happened to her in her life is so shocking. And yet the Substack is not shocking. It's so mundane. It's about, well, today I connected the sink to the whatever. Anyway, I'm, I just, uh, I, I I love her.
0: I know you do. <laughs> I do too. She's our new best friend. We have a lot of best friends though for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> You That's may the have, best
1: thing about doing a podcast, yeah. Well, we like her. Let's get her on. Yeah,
0: you may have picked up. Yeah, Wendy. and I don't really talk to people we don't like, so but maybe we should. Maybe we should find somebody we don't like and see how that goes. But uh, no, Lauren is uh, is a, a gem. And uh, anyway.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I have feelings, Wendy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you think that your your childhood was kind of weird, but I mean, oh, everybody's childhood is yeah, weird. Yeah, but hers was really freaking weird. No, hers is really weird. Like the sex, the sex cult, the children of God, and then joining the military, and then yeah, I know, I don't know, and then deciding that you're going to try and tell the truth about everything. It's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. But still,
0: still finds joy, and not in a corny way. She still finds, you know, she's quick to laugh and and quick to to empathize, and and so you know, it's uh, like when I said, "What doesn't kill you makes you funny." There's some truth to that, but it can also make you incredibly kind and 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 empathetic, and that that shines through as well. Anyway, Lauren Hoff. she's got a great haircut though. That's that's,
1: that's all, all that matters. matters. There's a nice short. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked to haircut. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Leaving isn't the hardest thing. It's a collection of essays from uh, Lauren Huff. And by the way, we don't talk enough about Substack. Wendy and I write individually, but under the collective title of uh, Women of Ill Repute on Substack. It doesn't cost anything to follow us. Of course, we ask you for money from time to time because, you know, it's our job. But if you go to Substack, you will discover a world of phenomenal writers who, everyone from us to margaret atwood and everyone in between writing casually and it's it's a it's a wonderful resource so check us out check lauren out check margaret atwood out <laughs>
1: Yeah, we started it as well. I thought we were well. Let's promote the podcast, and then we realized we really liked writing. And there are there are we both read so much on Substack, so it's uh, it's been a wonderful experience. And that's how we discovered. That's how we fell in love with Lauren, and uh, and now she's on the podcast. So it's uh, great. Yeah,
0: so it's it's a good thing. So check it out, and uh, I will see you later. Bye. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley, with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver.
1: I'm Andrea Askowitz, and I'm Allison Langer.